This is the Ray Hanania on Politics podcast, which explores issues I raise in my award-winning syndicated political columns that run in Chicagoland newspapers each week. You can get information on all my writings and my podcasts by visiting www.hanania.com. Thank you for listening. I always want to hear your thoughts, so feel free to email me your comments. Well, I'm back uh, after taking a little bit of vacation this summer. I had to take some time off. Um, And, of course, there's a lot of news and a lot of issues that we can talk about, politics as usual. The, The interesting thing is it's all the same. You know, when I look back, you could skip a whole month and jump right back into it, and it's the same stuff. Nothing changes. That's so depressing. I got uh, a couple things I'm going to talk about in this podcast. The first one is about the uh, remembering things, um, you know, from history, you know, like uh, uh, Neil Armstrong landing on the moon and how it seems like we've changed. We're just not trying to achieve these great things like we used to. And so I kind of worked it all together into a column. Another one is about racism being in the eye of the beholder and in the eye of the era that it takes place. I mean, for example, now everybody's upset about Civil War memorial statues that have been up for years. They're historical items, and they want them all taken down because they say they symbolize racism. But, you know, when I covered City Hall back in 1986, there was one symbol of racism that nobody wanted to take down. Black, white, there were a few people that did, but the mo- most of the people didn't want to. And the media made the difference. The media didn't want to do it. I tried to put a spotlight on it, um, but the media hated it. So we're going to talk about that. But before we do, I, I'm just, I want to say something about these two mass shootings that took place this weekend. There were two mass shootings over the weekend, one in Dayton, Ohio, uh, where nine people were killed, and one in El Paso, Texas at a Walmart where 22 people were killed. That same weekend, though, 59 people were shot and seven were killed in Chicago, uh, and and it got no attention. I mean, okay, it's not just because only seven people died. 59 people were shot, seven people died, and it happens every weekend. There, are, These mass shootings occur a lot, apparently, these days, um, and everybody's turning it into politics. Um, and that's the thing that's interesting that I, th- and I'm going to write a column about this later on in the week. The Chicago mass shootings, nobody wants to politicize those because who do you blame? The neighborhoods, the people in the neighborhoods, um, Lo- Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who ran on the uh, promise that she was going to change things, but she can't change anything. How's she going to stop all these mass murders? She can't do it. She lied to us, or she's a failure. Either one. I I don't know. It's just terrible. The 59 people were shot and seven killed in Chicago, and the media doesn't think that's a big national story, And and especially since that happens every weekend in Chicago. Nine people were killed and 27 were injured. Um on August 4th in a crowded bar in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, 22 people were killed and nearly 24 others were injured at an El Paso, Texas, Walmart. Um, so think about that, would you? I mean, it's the media that says, hey, we can turn uh, Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso into political stories and use it to beat up on President Trump. And I'm not trying to defend Trump. I'm just trying to say the motives of the media here are disgusting. That's the truth. That's what we should be talking about. That's what the dialogue needs to be. 
All right, now let's go back to Neil Armstrong because, you know, that was a major thing. I, you know, I remember many things vividly from history during my life. I, and, and I mean, honestly, and I say vividly, it's like I'm watching a movie when I think about it. There's certain events that impact you so hard, and I can't explain it. Um, usually they're tragedies, though, um, that you remember exactly where you were. You remember the environment. It burns into your memory cells. The day a friend of mine in the Warren Elementary School playground on Chicago's southeast side yelled, the president is dead. As I walked up the sidewalk on November 22, 1963, returning to school after lunch, President John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. Bam! I remember exactly where I was. The square in the sidewalk, as I'm walking up that hill, next to the uh, chain link fence, looking into the uh, playground, there were two playgrounds, and I remember seeing the yellow brick of the building. Yeah, it's just in there. It's in my head. I also remember the day my father brought home a color television set and we watched Batman in color for the first time. It was in 1966. Color TV had been around for many years, you know, before 1966. But unless you had a color TV, you wouldn't know it. I watched everything in black and white for the first uh, 13 years of my life until that day in 1966 and I remember it was the Zenith TV it was color um, oh it was a big deal we all sat around it didn't matter the quality or what we were watching it was in color it was very cool a decade later on August 8 1974 Richard M Nixon announced he was resigning as president of the United States effective the next day I was in the US Air Force at an F-111 training base reading for a deployment to Vietnam that was later canceled and I remember being in my military barracks with the TV on and watching uh, Nixon's press conference on the TV uh, as my you know my uh, soldier mates were sitting there watching it too I just remember seeing it it's vivid you know it's like a picture mental picture there was the January 28 1986 television broadcast of right the Challenger shuttle exploding in the sky creating smoke streams and worldwide bewilderment and disbelief I was in the offices of the Chicago Sun-Times going over an expense account with one of my editors Earl Moses and again I am picturing standing just outside his office the door of his office which had these big glass plates looking across this little uh, space where the TV was on the wall and you could see the image of the Challenger we had wa turned it on to watch it as it was taking off because it was pretty cool and then to see the smoke um, streams that were weird you knew there was something wrong right away there was also the night that Princess Di was killed in an auto accident in Paris on August 31st 1997 I was newly married. I watched the news reports late at night with my wife. Hard to forget that because it's very emotional. And yet the most memorable moment of all my life was Neil Armstrong stepping foot on the moon 50 years ago on July 20th, 1969, broadcast around 9.30 p.m., I think. It was late in the evening on TV in Chicago. And it was our TV was in color, but I believe it was black and white. Uh, in on July 21st UTC time so you got to remember they when they list these things 
it's UTC time, but when you translate that, it's July 20th, not July 21st. Of course, I can't remember if I took my heart medicine earlier today or the cancer meds that I'm supposed to take every day like a zombie connected to the pharmaceutical insurance companies that are eating away at my bank account. It's all about the money these days. When I think about Armstrong, though, I think about his famous quote, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I know from watching uh, YouTube that Cronkite screwed up. Remember Walter Cronkite? He screwed up in reporting on Armstrong's quote. Cronkite said, now it passed me up at the time. I was just a kid. I remember watching it. Um, but some of the details, Cronkite was not the big story, although he was kind of like a father figure to everybody in America at the time. Cronkite said he couldn't tell the second part of what Armstrong said. Armstrong made this famous quote, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, and Cronkite was so busy, you know, focusing on himself and how emotional he was, that he didn't hear the second part of the quote, and he turned around and he told somebody that he couldn't remember what it was. The power of the words didn't mean as much to me either, 50 years ago, when I was only 16. The words only took on a powerful life of their own in the years that followed as the moment was drilled home over and over again by the media. That quote, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, never really impacted people until it was later repeated and we were told how powerful and meaningful it was. Now, listen, no one's going to admit that today. Nobody likes to admit that they didn't pick up on it. But honestly, that wasn't the most famous thing that we talked about that year. Uh, but it grew to be the symbol of that landing. Why was the moon landing so important? Uh, I think it had to do with the fact that space exploration was motivated by the inspiring words of President Kennedy in the wake of our fears that the Russians were already ahead of us in the space race. They launched Sputnik in the 1950s, and that caused a lot of fears. We'd practice hiding under our desks for safety in the event of a nuclear attack. Science fiction was fueled by Sputnik and the stories about the power of nuclear energy and the atomic bombs that had been dropped over Japan at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, ending the war in the Pacific. A movie about giant ants called Them looks silly today, but in 1954 it was truly frightening. Fifty years have gone by and I guess I only have a few questions about it all. Why did we stop? Why didn't we take Armstrong's moonwalk and turn it into a moon colony? I guess real inspiration died with JFK. The Vietnam War soured everybody. We shifted from seeking great achievements to seeking great profits. It all became about the money. I recently traveled to Dubai and was awed looking out the windows of the Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building at 163 stories. In fact, America no longer has the tallest building. Our tallest structure, a monument to the tragedy of September 11, 2001, One World Trade Center, is only the seventh tallest building in the world at 104 floors. Why didn't we make it the tallest building? Why did we stop? Why did we settle for seventh? You know, why didn't we build the biggest and the best? What happened to that phrase? What happened to that American spirit of great achievements that made for wonderful memories, pride, and drive? Jimmy Kimmel, moron that he is, blames everything on President Trump. But I blame it all on us. 
We've stopped looking forward to greatness and are frozen in a traffic jam of anger and hate that people like Kimmel and others are fueling for their own selfish reasons too. And now let's talk about racism in the eye of the beholder. This is another, I, these are things that I think about. I don't know, I, you know, I could have been a doctor and not thought about anything. Not, I, but, you know, and, and that's what I was going to be. But, you know, one day I just flipped, and I'll tell you, that's why I became a journalist. You know, watching an Arab-Israeli debate on TV after the 1973 war, I had one of those aha moments where I saw the Israeli speaking so perfectly and lying while the, pal the Palestinian or the Arab spokesman was fumbling and stumbling through his rhetoric and it could, he couldn't even speak English properly. And I realized that no wonder we're losing. We're, the people that are representing us are, you know, I mean, they're t t sad, but they're morons. They can't speak. They're not doing their jobs. And that's always been our problem as Palestinians. Anyway, you want to talk about the Middle East? You go to my other podcast, right? Uh-huh, the Arab Street Podcast, which you can look up on iTunes. This is Ray Hannity on Chicago Politics. It was a f quiet fall news day at Chicago City Hall. Alderman Robert Shaw from the Ninth Ward and I were standing next to a large copy of Chicago's official city seal on the wall. I pointed to the seal and asked, Don't you have a problem with the seal as an African American? Shaw looked at the seal and contemplated my question. And after a few minutes responded, the seal is racist. And I agree. The story I wrote created a dust storm of controversy with some aldermen joining Shaw and demanding that the seal be removed. News media politics came into play with columnists and pundits trashing me for writing the, quote, ridiculous story for the Chicago Sun-Times where I was working as a city hall reporter. I took a lot of heat from Chicago Sun-Times editors who really wondered, is this really a story? Yeah, it was. It was about something that symbolized racism for some people. We should write it. I remember Royko was telling everybody that I was an ass. He never really liked me because I think I was a better writer than him. But, you know, everybody's a legend in their own mind. Even other reporters at the Sun-Times were slamming me, although I always wrote that off as jealousy. Let's be honest. City Hall was an important beat where I was at. That, and that at a critical moment, the other ambitious colleagues, they ignored and missed their chance to be assigned there in my place. In other words, when the opportunity came to cover City Hall, it was boring for them, so they didn't take it. I took it, and turned out that City Hall became one of the most important beats in Chicago, and they all hated me for it, so fuck them, I don't care. The historical racism of the seal was obvious. The seal was meticulously defined in the city's archives as depicting the approach of white man civilization and commerce. That was the exact quote to Chicago shores. An Indian Native American stood on shore greeting the white settlers who were on the boat that was being powered by chained black African slaves. To whites, the seal meant nothing more than history. It was just a marker of our society at a specific time. To some African Americans, like Alderman Shaw, the seal meant nothing too, or I'm sorry, it meant something, but to others it meant nothing too. They saw the history in the seal and shrugged it off. History is history. You don't change it. You understand it. One Hispanic alderman shrugged. You can't change history, but we can change the seal, Shaw argued. Well, no. 
That was September 1987. Harold Washington was Chicago's mayor, just elected, and there were many more important issues to take on. He's the first African-American to leave the city of Chicago. Washington shrugged, the, but supported it, but society didn't really care about the seal or the concerns about what the seal symbolized. Who would take a piece of history and turn it into a divisive controversy on race? Alderman Edward M. Burke, the only white alderman who recognized the reality of the SEAL story for African Americans, didn't want to just push it aside. Burke was a huge historian, uh, one of Chicago's best. He proposed changing the city's records re to re-describe the SEAL's meaning. Now, that's kind of was a compromise in his mind, but he felt it was important that something had to be done, and he cared about African Americans, although years later people would say that he was quote-unquote racist because he fought Harold Washington. For Burke, Harold Washington was a political rival, not a race rival, but a lot of people, they're African Americans, you couldn't convince them of anything about Burke. But in my opinion, Alderman Burke was a good politician, and when he did things, he did it because of politics, not because of racism or race as others are doing. Now, jump ahead 30 years, and the world has changed, right? Statues memorializing history of the Civil War, going back, what, 140 years, 160 years? Have they been denounced, defaced, or removed? Some cities like Atlanta have taken a go-slow approach to consider the issues. Others have just ripped them down. But what really changed? In 1983, Chicago elected a black mayor, and there was much more rancor. Race was just as important then as it is today, and yet even in the high decibels of the race debate, it seemed to be more civilized than the wild rancor and hate we have today. Washington, Shaw, and Burke were not allies, but they wanted what was good for the city. They were smart about it. Quote, there's nothing wrong with talking about the issues Washington said in a supporting criticism of the seal. Race politics and issues over the past two decades has become extremely personal. It seems the rhetoric has become more violent. Yeah, violent rhetoric. That's a phrase that you shouldn't forget. Some communities removed the historical Civil War statues, but many did not. The media, though, is fueling the issue in a way it never did before. One major cause is social media, the place where everyday people suddenly all become political commentators, historians, and Columbos are Judge Judy's, or maybe even Len O'Connor. Remember Len O'Connor, the commentator back in the 60s? And I am Len O'Connor. They watch forensic files on TV and they think they know how to investigate crimes and judge suspects, guilt or innocence. Who needs education and training anymore? And that is fueling the extreme racist activity, like the Facebookers sharing images of the squad, four elected women leading the hate Trump movement in Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib. They have some good issues, but when Tlaib openly calls the president a mother effer, you know the whole thing has been dragged to the lowest depths of the gutter by irresponsibility on both sides. It isn't just one side, it's all sides. People on both sides are using issues to convey their elevated sense of anger, which turns quickly into hate. I was watching the seventh season of Orange is the New Black this past week, a series on Netflix about women in prison. 
it was a great show that explored a lot of issues fairly. But this season took on an ugly detour where they injected the issue of undocumented illegal aliens into the mix from a very leftist perspective. All of the illegals detained were portrayed as angels, and all of the police and ICE agents were portrayed as being cruel, vicious, and inhumane. Nowhere are the stories of drug traffickers illegally enter the, entering the country, butchering their own people, and committing all kinds of crimes. In other words, they had specifically added the issue of undocumented aliens to make a political statement, not about entertainment. They didn't do it to be balanced or fair so people would understand the issue. They did it because they wanted to hate on ICE, hate on the police, and hate on President Trump. And to undermine, or not undermine, but to soft pedal the uh, violence that many illegal aliens who were involved in drug trafficking and drug-related murders have brought to this country from our southern border. So it really isn't about the issues like the Civil War statues, I guess. It isn't about understanding racism or even the illegal aliens who live in this country. It's just that today we have a lot of activists who don't care about civilized boundaries on either side and who would use a statue as a bludgeon to beat another American to death. It's about presenting one's one selfish side, libeling the police, libeling the ICE agents to make it seem like they, the police and ICE agents, are the problem. Not the irresponsible parents who drag their kids thousands of miles through hell as a tool to cheat the immigration system in America. It's about how there is no limit anymore to how far some will go to achieve their goals, trampling over truth, fairness, and fueling anger and hate. Because in today's world, if you can't beat a rival with facts, then hate-driven social media, one-sided media coverage, and gun violence are the next best thing. There, I gave you three good issues this week. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Ray Hanania on Politics podcast. Visit www.hanania.com for all my podcasts, my award-winning syndicated columns on Chicagoland politics, and my columns on Middle East politics. Thank you for listening.